Hello, and welcome to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, last episode, I got off the call, and I told you, I don't know how well that went, and you thought it went fabulous, because of course you did, (laughs) and... Uh, I, I expressed a little regrets about how hard I went at the Raptors fans, calling them termites. And, you know, lo and behold, we struck a nerve, as you could have expected. But what I loved about this whole termite back and forth is that the Raptors fans have become the new deplorables. They've decided to own that terminology, to own that label. And I know I know you saw this, too, because we got so many emails, tweets, direct messages from people saying, you know, termite, termite in Toronto. I'm Tommy the termite. You can't make this stuff up. This is why I love the NBA. It's why I love Raptors fans. Uh, and without further ado, let's talk about the league, man. Yeah, let's get into it. I really, I will say... I appreciate how good-natured the Raptors fans have been because you've been going hard on DeRozan for a solid two years now, and given how well he's played, I don't know if I would handle it as classily as they have, but they've been very cool to you and to us uh, and sort of like have a sense of humor about all of this. So I appreciate that. Shout out to the termites. Um, And we'll get to DeRozan. He had another big game uh, earlier this week. But let's start in L.A. Uh, Our first question here is from Jesse, and he says, Hey, guys, first-time emailer here. I'm a lifetime Laker fan. I was at Thunder Lakers Wednesday night, and I'm trying to be patient and understanding of the time it's going to take to become at least like a sixth or seventh seed in the playoffs, but I'm wondering when we're going to start making some moves. Clarkson, Randall, don't get me wrong. I love these guys, but if we're going to be a playoff contender— We need a lot of pieces that aren't on this roster. I want to hear your takes on the future playoff Lakers. Do you have any takes, Ben? Uh, Well, what if I told you this, Andrew? What if I told you that the coach's preferred style was to play as fast as possible, but the players that he had were near the league leaders in turnover rate? That would be a problem, right? And then what yes, if I told you <laughs> not a good start? And then what if I told you that same coach wanted to play an outside in offense, you know, relying pretty heavily on, uh, you know, trying to play pace and space, using a stretch five uh, whenever possible, trying to keep people out of the paint. And yet they had the worst three point percentage in the league. That would be a problem, too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another bad sign. That's the Lakers. I mean, and that, and we can get into some other issues in terms of locker room stuff and, and the dynamic with these contracts and the, their recent team meeting and all of that. But what you have here is a team where their goal, who they want to be, is not who their personnel is. And it's very hard to bridge that gap. And ultimately, I think he's come to the right conclusion the emailer has. They just need better players and they need better fit players, guys who are going to play that type of style that Luke Walton has wanted to play, has wanted to import uh, from Golden State. The problem is they have no shooters uh, and they're very, very careless in part because they're young and that's tricky. And, you know, one guy to keep an eye on here is your favorite guy, uh, Brandon Ingram. He has definitely made strides in year two. There's no doubt for him to really work in this system, though. He's going to have to be a knockdown three point shooter. That's going to have to be a weapon that he can go to. So people respect his ability to pull up and then he can get into the paint, get to the rim, get to the free throw line. Uh, His game will open up when he gets there and he's just not there right now. And uh, when we're looking in terms of like, when are they going to be a playoff team? I'm tracking off Ingram's development. Yeah. You know, Ingram's interesting because a lot of those guys, 
like he's in that category we put a lot of players in where we talk about how great they are at various aspects of the game and say, okay, so if he gets a jump shot, he's going to be unstoppable. And I would say 80 to 90% of the guys we put in that category never actually get a jumper. But I'm, I'm weirdly bullish on Ingram, like leveling out to a 35% three point shooter at some point because his mechanics are encouraging and like there's more there's more to work with with Ingram than there is with a guy like Ben Simmons or a guy like like Michael Kidd Gilchrist or like he's he's not starting from scratch he's just like the shots haven't started falling yet there's no question. I mean, you can't even put them in the same sentence in terms of, you know, uh, Simmons and Ingram when it comes to like shooting potential long term. Uh, he is very young. He's shown the ability to hit some shots in big moments. Um, and you like that because that means he's got the right mentality. You know, he's kind of this quiet killer potentially in waiting. Uh, that's a good sign. But he needs to continue to show progress there. Or, you know, what are we talking about? I mean, they're kind of building the team around him. If your sort of main building block here is a very skinny, you know, 20-year-old wing who can't shoot threes, you're going to be one of the worst teams in the league, just like the Lakers are. Right. And I want to sort of take this in a different direction now, because I'm glad Jesse asked this, and it gave me an excuse to discuss something that has been bugging me all week long. I've had several conversations about this. Uh, some with you, complaining about various articles that get written. I feel like I've read the same article about the Lakers like 500 times. And I'm just kind of sick of it. Like after every single Lakers loss, it's really, really easy to make jokes about their free agency plans and the future. And it's kind of just like the lowest hanging fruit for basketball Twitter this year, or the so-called like smart basketball people out there uh, to just sort of watch what the Lakers are doing this season and pretend that it's insane to think that they can build next year. And I just think it's all kind of bullshit. Like people talk about the Lakers as if they're the Knicks and they're really not the Knicks. Like there are a couple things that I think they have working in their favor that are very real. And it's not just hype. Like I think this summer, the appeal of Los Angeles is very real. And I think that this is something that we've talked about before you can absolutely become a much bigger star playing for the Lakers than you can playing for some small market team. Like Giannis is known to, to hardcore basketball fans now, but he would own the planet in LA. And so that's why like it, people coming out of that thunder game were like, you really think Paul George is going to sign his career over to spend the next like four years for a 20 win Laker team. And like, I think that it's a little bit more complicated than that because I think like they have things that other teams are not going to be able to offer, even including Oklahoma City. Yeah, I mean, I come away from that game between those two teams with more optimism than ever on behalf of Lakers fans for Paul George. Number one, Loose Lips Paul was back. He couldn't stop talking about how he, <laughs> he wanted to get traded to his hometown, how everyone would love that situation. Uh, and number two, Russell Westbrook's out there talking about how they're going to keep Paul George because they're going to win a title. Breaking news, Oklahoma City, you're not going to win a title this year. So you better, <laughs> you better have a backup plan in case Russell Westbrook's uh, prescription for retaining Paul George uh, isn't going to work. But I think people might push back on your first point here a little bit. And just say, what? look, Andrew, you're selling us this same story about how the platform, the platform, the platform that we've heard for four or five years now, and guys have consistently uh, you know, turned their back on that idea. 
do you think that it was those are all sort of independent situations where guys like LeBron or Carmelo or whoever else have decided not to use that Lakers platform in past decisions? Uh, and you think something's going to change here? Uh, or think, how do you I think how do you explain bit. it? Yeah. I see. I put. I sort of put the last few years of the Lakers in a in a little bit of a different category because I think for a while there, Jim Buss was in charge, and they really were as dumb as the critics said. And now I don't think that's as true. And like the Le- the LeBron thing to me is not crazy at this point. I would put it at fifty fifty on him staying in Cleveland because that's a good situation, and there there are moves that the Cavs can make to sort of entice him to come back. But if he leaves, I really think the Lakers will end up making more sense than anywhere in the league because they basically are well positioned to give him a shot to build whatever team he wants. Like there there are assets they can trade, there are contracts that they can they can use to bring in somebody else and create space and like people who worry about how it's all going to fit on the under the cap. I don't know why people stress out about that because if we go back over the last few years like when superstars want to make something happen, it happens, and people figure out the other side, the, like all the cap details. It just sort of yeah. falls into and, place. And they're in a more flexible position than most teams. So, like the cap mechanics is not the concern to me. It's still can you acquire these big name players? And I think even this conversation you're having right now, though, is part of the problem, Andrew, because you're putting their current guys, Randall, Clarkson, and some of these other players in a very, very awkward position. It's like purgatory. Do we know if we're going to be here? Do, you know, Are we going to be gone next year? You could say the same right. thing for guys like KCP and Brooke Lopez. I hate to say this, LeVar Ball was right. <laughs> he criticized the Lakers earlier this season. He's like, look, they've got some guys who are playing for themselves. And I think he singled some uh, players out by name. We've seen a situation where I believe Julius Randle wore like a jean jacket that said, pay me when they didn't give him an extension uh, to a Gabe. Uh, (laughs) It's gotten pretty uncomfortable with Randle specifically. There have been like four or five interactions with the media where you're like, whoa, I'm surprised that they haven't traded him yet just to sort of avoid the awkwardness there. Yeah, and that is not a unique to LA thing. That's a problem all over the league. And when you want to convince guys to be, you know, if you want a team first environment, you either have to have guys who are team first players, a guy like Lonzo, Ingram, uh, even Kuzma, to me, those are pretty much team first guys. You can mold them into a core, right? Uh, But if you don't have team first personalities by nature, you have to have an environment that pulls that out of them. One example I'd use is actually the 2016 Blazers. Uh, they were a team that totally overachieved. Everyone expected them to be terrible after Aldridge left. They had all of these guys who were in contract years who realized that mm-hmm. their their payday was de- de- determined by their ability to contribute to wins. So they all had career years. They all got paid. And then guess what? Their motivation to be team first players uh, <laughs> wavered. And the next year, they weren't quite as good. And two years later, a lot of those contracts don't look great, right? So if you have situations or conditions where you can pull uh, team first behavior out of guys who maybe aren't naturally wired that way, then that's a, a great way to foster a winning environment. The Lakers have the exact opposite of those conditions right now because everyone's speculating about LeBron or Paul George, and that's coming at the expense of the guys who are there currently. Yeah, I, I just don't think it has much bearing on their future. I think that's where I sort of like I understand people who are saying that this year's team isn't as good as they were supposed to be or like wanted to be. I, I think the Vegas over under was like 34 wins for them. And that seemed crazy to me at the time and still seems crazy. And now they're one of the three or four worst teams in the league. So I understand why it's not working this year. It's just kind of funny to me 
how people discuss the Lakers as if they're these big, rich idiots that are just sort of have no idea what they're doing. Like I was talking to a friend of the pod, Spike Eskin, about this earlier in the week. And to me, I think Magic Johnson is the perfect example. He's he's sort of the avatar for how they're perceived. Like everyone looks at his Twitter account praising every player on earth in every sport and they think, oh, wow. So Magic just has no idea what he's talking about. But if you look closer, Magic over the last 25 years has been pretty cold-blooded. Like he he is there's always an agenda. I mean, he bought his way into the Dodgers right as they were blowing up. He's been wildly successful in business for a solid 25 years. Like even watching the Isaiah Thomas NBA TV interview a few weeks ago, I don't know what his angle was in participating in that, but it seemed pretty calculated. Like that all of this is 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 part of a broader thing and uh and like even with the Lakers he literally hijacked control of the team last winter came in traded D'Angelo within 3 months of taking over and sort of like tr- it was a godfather move to kind of trash him on the way out uh which wasn't great I didn't love that but uh but he also I mean he hired Rob Palenka one of the most powerful agents in the sport to come run his team and tamper with guys and I just don't like magic's never doing anything by mistake. And we talk about him as if he's this sort of like happy go lucky Rube, but he's a lot closer to Pat Riley than I think a lot, a lot of people realize. I mean, going from Jim Buss to what you just described is possibly the biggest upgrade I could imagine. You know, <laughs> it you, is right. Yeah. You mentioned that, you know, people have been hard on the Lakers in recent years, and I thought the critics were slow to get on to Jim Buss. And I was on Jim Buss early, and I felt like for a while there I was out on an island, but it was very clear was from some of the reports with free agent meetings and all that, and just you know his overall work ethic and you know buy into the NBA uh, culture and, and sort of you know his standing among his peers that his vision of trying to hit a home run with these free agent signings was just never going to pan out. The issue right. for the Lakers now, though, is it's the same vision. They're still big game hunting. They're still trying to swing for the fences. And I guess my question to you for Magic would be, how many years are you giving him? I mean, is it this summer or bust? And then we have to say, oh, a lot of this Godfather stuff that you're saying uh, may not be true. Now, maybe he's in that Pat Riley category or that Phil Jackson category where there was a mystique that there used to be that maybe it's not there. Or are you going to give him two summers or three summers? I mean, what's his timeline in your eyes? No, like I'm not setting out any timelines here. Like I'm none of this means they're guaranteed to land Paul George or LeBron this summer. More than anything, I'll, I've just read two or three different articles making fun of the Lakers and and like laughing at the possibility of them landing guys this summer and that is stupid to me. Like it's not a guarantee, but it's I to me I think it's much dumber to watch them lose in January and be like, LOL, the Lakers think the future is bright. Like, no, that's idiotic. The Lakers are always a threat. Yeah, I mean, I think if I was a big-time free agent this summer, I'd still have the same concerns guys have had in previous years. How ready are they? I would I would be hesitant to sign, but I could see it, you know, the summer of 2019, I could see that calculus changing a little bit. One thing I'd say, though— The best thing the Lakers have going for them, obviously, is their history and star power. And it's a different feeling when you see it in person. I mean, like Kobe Bryant's jersey retirement night, Shaquille O'Neal's statue unveiling. Like Those are a couple of events I went to in recent years. Nobody gets down like the Lakers. I mean, even the Celtics, when you're you're saying you can get 
uh, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, Jerry West, Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant to show up in events simultaneously. I mean, not very many uh, franchises uh, can compare, you know, star power for star power with that. So if I were them, I would continue just doing random Kobe and Shaq tributes during games <laughs> when rival free yeah. agents are playing, like just retire Jersey, uh, Kobe's jerseys again, the next time Paul George is in town, just show him what it's like, give him a little taste of it. You know, there's no question that that's the play. If they can't sign anyone this summer next year, they're just going to have to have like a monthly Mamba night. I'm kind of surprised they don't already do that because I'm sure Lakers fans would be game. I'm glad you mentioned the feeling at Lakers games because it's one of those things. I, I experienced it when I went to the Celtics game as well. Like there, it, there is something different about even, even the, the, like highlight montage they play before the game starts. You have like 60 years of crazy success. And I don't know, it, it's one of those things that you kind of have to sort of experience it to, to realize that it's not totally bullshit, but it's not just hype. That's all I wanted to say. So yeah, the, the one thing I tack on here to the end of the conversation though, is the one phenomenon I've seen here in the last five years is that people who are younger than me and you want to call them millennials or whatever else, they don't care about the past nearly as much as people who are older than me do. And I don't sure. know if that's always happening, if that's a generational thing, if there's a cutoff where at some point you start to care more about uh, ancient history or whatever. But to me, like, especially these guys who are on their phones all day long, you know, young 20s type guys, they're more concerned about the future, what's next, rather than 30 years ago, like, you know, the amazing Elgin Baylor highlight reel, right? And that could be. Uh, you know, a tough yeah. part of Magic's job. He's got to take that history and twist it to make it seem futuristic, not just, uh, you know, old guys kind of patting each other on the back about the good old days. Yeah, I don't think that the mystique is going to lure anyone to L.A. I do think that there's something to be said for guys now looking at L.A. and saying, look, we can go create our own team here and get a two or three stars and become internationally famous. I think that's a, a much better selling point for the Lakers right now but I don't know we'll see what happens I'm just sick of reading like lol Lakers articles I think it's stupid um but let's move on because I wanted to talk about Isaiah and the Cavs so we teased this at the end of the at the end of the last podcast because I thought that Isaiah was going to be returning to Boston this week uh I've been I planned my whole week around it and then Late Tuesday afternoon, I realized that he was not playing, which was a crushing blow. But Tuesday against the Blazers, he did play 20 minutes and looked pretty fantastic. So we can just start here. How are you feeling about Isaiah on the Cavs? Well, right now I'm feeling like I missed a major major opportunity to break your heart because I knew he wasn't going to play when you said it, <laughs> and, I, and I didn't correct you, and I really wish we had that on-air audio of you just going, Dude, oh, no. I was, I was so crestfallen because I, I literally, we finished the podcast, and then I saw on Twitter that he wasn't playing, and I was like, are you kidding me? I've, I've spent like five or six days looking forward to that game, but so it goes. You know, we'll, we'll get Isaiah at full strength. I think they play in like February or something. Yeah, I mean, the main takeaway to me, obviously, he was moving pretty well for his first game after so long. He was productive. I mean, I would consider that like an A or an A-plus debut. Uh, I don't yeah. know exactly what you would nitpick based on how long he was out and how severe the injury had seemed the whole way through. Um, my biggest takeaway, though, is just the power of their spacing and how they've gone to that this year. Remember what unlocked Isaiah 
in Boston was like the five out stuff, always having him able to work one-on-one off the dribble in kind of a Harden-like fashion, uh, being the the focal point of their offense, being able to get all the way to their rim, break his guy down off the dribble, use those great nifty layups he's got, uh, and then get to the foul line. And all that stuff's possible because there's not bodies in the paint. You know, Cleveland started the season, you know, definitely spreading out more than they had in the past, you know, turning to Kevin Love and more small lineups. And it was immediately evident how that was going to benefit LeBron. What we saw, Mm -hmm. I thought, in game one for Isaiah is that that same approach, you know, really benefits Isaiah, too. He's going to find it a very kind of a natural transition, I think. And I'm sure that was part of the reason why they decided to go that route and kind of de-emphasize Tristan Thompson a little bit. Uh, But I also think the shooters that have surrounded LeBron in recent years to kind of power their offense, that's going to help Isaiah too. He's very good at, you know, driving kick threes to teammates. And then also a guy like Tristan Thompson who can play a little pick and roll dive to the hoop. I think Isaiah can work nicely with him too. use his screen setting. So I think there's two man game possibilities with both love uh, and uh, Thompson. I think his interplay with LeBron, they're going to figure each other out pretty quickly. And I think they're both just going to thrive in space And as long as he stays healthy, I mean, to me, Cleveland has got to be kind of pumping its fist uh, about how the whole thing went down. Absolutely. Uh, Like, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves because obviously it's been one game (laughs) and he played 20 minutes. But if he's 100 percent, it's I mean, the Cavs are going to be really scary because like we'll see we'll see how Ty Lue staggers uh, staggers Isaiah and LeBron. But I think. If he uses them creatively and and allows Isaiah to sort of be out there on his own with like Dwayne Wade and that bench unit, that's going to be really dangerous as well. And like if they get Isaiah at 90%, which I think like that's sort of the player that we got to see against the Blazers. And who knows whether he'll be able to keep that going. But like you said, like the spacing is already there. This team could get really, really scary. And uh, like the flip side of that is that like before watching that Blazers game, and again, like the Blazers are not the, the greatest defense in the world, not the greatest test in the world, whatever. But uh, before that game, I was pretty curious to see how they how he would fit with with LeBron because like LeBron needs the ball and or not, doesn't need the ball, but is certainly like dominant and the most dominant player in the sport when he has the ball. And Isaiah needs the ball too, and so. I thought it might be a little complicated on that front, but I think it also I, I I was sort of downplaying just how dangerous they become because especially now that Kevin Love has been weaponized uh, over the last few months, like this could get pretty wild over the final few months. Yeah, I think the the one thing to keep in mind. LeBron's gunning for the MVP. There's no question. I mean, when you look at his numbers, he's never put up his current stat line. It's completely out of this world. The only guys during the three-point era who can match his points, rebounds, and assists are Russell Westbrook and James Harden from last year. So he's on a planet that very, very few uh, people have ever gotten to. He's enjoyed Mm -hmm. completely perfect health. Remember, he shouldered all that extra burden early, and yet he's not the worst for wear. They're right where they want to be in the standings. Uh, they're in position to you know, push for seeds, whatever seed they want, now that they've got Isaiah back. Uh, it didn't wear him down. It didn't you know, turn him into Moody LeBron like he was there for like a week or two very <laughs> early in the season. Yeah. You know, and so for Isaiah, he doesn't need to really get into this like 
you know, alpha dog, beta dog thing with LeBron at all. You're just the number two guy. LeBron's out there gunning for an MVP. He is now the favorite given uh, James Harden's uh, you know, hamstring situation. And we can talk about that in a second. But for Isaiah, the table is set perfectly. I mean, he could not have asked for more. Uh, imagine if they were in a hole in the standings. Imagine if LeBron had missed five games and uh, he didn't have the same chemistry he has with his other teammates. I mean, this this whole situation could have been a lot worse. Imagine if Isaiah didn't come back until the all-star break. You know, I, I think, uh, especially for a guy like Kobe Altman, uh, who really yeah. stuck his neck out with that trade, uh, this week has kind of paid off as a big win. And let's just hope his health stays where it was on Tuesday night. Yeah. I mean, that's the crazy part is that Isaiah is sort of like icing on the cake with that deal because the getting the Nets pick for Kyrie was the big Kobe Altman win. And Isaiah is just sort of the wild card. Like, who knows what he's going to be. But if he's the real Isaiah Thomas, like the player that we saw last year, like, I mean, <laughs> the Cavs are going to be so fucking fun over the final couple months. And I'm really excited. I said this on Twitter. Like, I will become a full bandwagon Cavs fan down the stretch. And, uh, like, I talked to somebody earlier this week who was kind of complaining about the uh, – the Isaiah love fest that has happened. And like, there are certain it's, it's gone over the top in certain respects. But for me, the reason I like him so much is because when you look across the league and look at stars around the league, like I would say 80 to 90% of NBA stars are corny um, or lame in various ways. But Isaiah has always been a guy who, struck me as like legitimately really cool and just a, just an awesome dude i've talked to him a couple times and like and and heard good things from other people who have talked to him and uh he's just gonna be so fun to root for over the final few months so again let's hope let's hope let's all knock on wood and hope he stays healthy but uh but you did you mentioned lebron's mvp case and you had some stats. I just want to, you referenced his numbers. He's averaging 28.9 points per game, nine assists, 8.2 rebounds on 55% shooting from the field and 39% from three in 38 minutes a game. And this is 15 years into his career. Like I'm sure that there will come a time when the, the entire NBA basketball world just like decides to freak out about what LeBron is doing but it really is like kind of outrageous it's insane and, and just real quick for context here's why I said Harden is in trouble and you know he's probably no longer considered the front runner if you go back uh -huh. through the three-point era only one guy's won MVP play basically missing more than seven games in a season that was Allen Iverson uh, in 2001. Everyone else has basically played 75 or more games during an 82-game season. So a two-week injury for Harden will likely bring him down right around 75. So he's got no margin for error the rest of the, uh, the way. And it's yeah. because, you know, that whole thing, but he missed time. You know, that argument when we come around to award season and guys like you and me are arguing about those things, it's always a very convincing uh, kind of tiebreaker when you're weighing two guys who have amazing stats and are playing on really good teams. I mean, that's, that's just how it goes. LeBron hasn't missed a game. Like you mentioned, he's deep into his career. And we've also got, you know, the possibility of matching Jordan's five career MVPs on the line here. And so I actually think that's one reason why LeBron has kind of done some of these MJ tributes on the court. He's referenced chasing the go, uh, ghost and things like that. 
because he's at four, if he gets to five, then that's just one more thing that MJ stands like myself can't say, you know, Jordan had five MVPs and, and LeBron only had four, you know, that argument could potentially go out the window. So, um, and when you look at the crop kind of chasing LeBron besides Harden, it's pretty weak. Right. I mean, Isaiah was a top five finisher. He's out. Kawhi Leonard was a top five finisher. He's out. Steph Curry's already missed 11 games. So that's going to, you know, probably subject him to the same issues that Harden's going to have. I mean, I think LeBron's best competition at this point is either guys like Kyrie or Jimmy Butler or possibly Kevin Durant as like a sleeper. KD's also missed some time. The one thing KD's got going for him, though, is he's sort of like in the Kawhi mold from last year where he can make the best two-way player, most complete type argument because he's been really good on defense. But you listed LeBron's numbers, and we've talked about the history at stake here and the lifetime achievement possibilities. Do you really think the most complete player argument from KD is going to overcome LeBron if it comes down to those two guys by the end of the season? I have a hard time seeing it. No, and not only that, I also just think that we're in a spot with LeBron where he has been the best all-around player for like 80 to 90 percent of his career at the end of every season so like you could make an argument that he deserves like nine mvps and i think at at some point he's going to get an mvp that is is sort of like a career achievement award and that could happen this year as well um and not that he doesn't like he's clearly the most deserving guy in the field i just think either way he's due for one more mvp um and by the way real quick you gave me a lot of shit when I predicted that maybe Harden would miss some time this year. And you said, Sharp, you're not a doctor. I don't know what you're talking about. But I just. No, you rooted for look, it. It, it <laughs> wasn't was that not, you predicted no. it. You rooted for it. <laughs> no, I was not rooting for any injuries. I don't root for injuries. All I was saying is that if you go back over the last five years, Harden has played almost every game. And it, that seems like a, a little bit of an outlier. Um, although well, guess what LeBron's played every game for 15 years <laughs> I was just gonna say LeBron <laughs> you better not jinx him. outlier yeah I'm, I'm really not trying to jinx LeBron here but let's move to the other side of Cavs Celtics uh, from Wednesday night Corey says Sharp I know you're a Boston hater and I get it they have 17 banners and Washington has one and <laughs> not only that I should add Washington has like one of the lamest NBA titles in NBA history. So it's almost even worse than having uh, none. But uh, And then he says, Golliver, you also don't say anything about Boston without sounding like you just ate something horrible. But please, can you guys just say something positive about the Celtics? So I'll, I'll cede the floor to you, Ben, to start here. Corey, you and I are going to have to have a heart-to-heart, okay? <laughs> this, is, this is about to get deep. This email really bothered me. It really, really bothered me. A couple of reasons. First of all, we have said a lot of nice things about the Celtics this season. Mm-hmm. We've praised Ainge's moves. I picked Brad Stevens as my coach of the year. Kyrie, I think, was third or fourth on my MVP ballot at the first quarter mark. We've gone above and beyond with the Jason Tatum stuff, You know, calling him 10-time affectionately and talking about how <laughs> you can't compare him to the other rookies because he's two years younger than them. We've praised Horford. I had him on my Defensive Player of the Year ballot. I think we've given some love to Jalen Brown. Look, what happened, Corey, is you have been conditioned by the NBA media industrial complex to desire to crave generic positive feedback and 
even when you hear it, you can't get enough. You have an insatiable <laughs> appetite for this. If you look around the media, there is not a team that is slobbered over more besides possibly the Warriors than the Boston Celtics. You're getting generic praise about them all day long. And in fact, as I just laid out, you're getting it from us too for months. So you come at us and say, okay, well, uh, why aren't you saying anything nice about them? You know what? This is why it bothers me because it's so <laughs> lazy and so easy for analysts to do that. You see people tweet after games, unbelievable. What a game from Kyrie Irving. Oh, beautiful all around effort from Al Horford. It's lazy. It's simple. Andrew, I'm going to tell you why. Listen okay. to this. I'm going to name, pick any team. Okay. Atlanta Hawks. Here's my generic praise for the Atlanta Hawks, right? Man, you really have to like that super smart move to go out and grab a GM like Travis Schlenk for the rebuild. What a brilliant decision that was. <laughs> Great you know, they, Dwayne Dedman signing. Oh, really unbelievable. Shrewd. Great value. And look, they got ahead way out in front on the Dwight Howard trade too. They got rid of his contract. Beautiful. You look, they, they identified a building block point guard in Dennis Schroeder. That's the type of guy who can really grow with the franchise and become that franchise player. And don't even get me started, Andrew, about Mike Budenholzer and his ability to have Coach Bud University with all those 3 and D wings, Tory and Prince. <laughs> I mean, what an unbelievable asset out there. Coach he's just He's just one of a long lineage of these players, right? You have heard this stuff, Corey, and not just Corey, every listener. You hear this stuff constantly. Look, I'm going to really drive this point home with one final example. Andrew, you okay. know how I feel about the Phoenix Suns, right? I mean, they're just yes. an utter clown show. And by the way, with the Hawks, that's a team that they have to basically get their fans drunk to watch because they're so unwatchable and, and bad. I mean, they had to install a bar at the stadium to get people to show up to the games, yep. right? Okay, <laughs> so the facts. Suns. I don't like the Suns. I, you know, I think that basically their owner should tell, uh, sell the team. Uh, their first coach, Earl Watson, didn't know what he was doing. Uh, their general manager has made a long list of mistakes. But we can play this generic praise game with, uh, with them too, Andrew. Help me out here. Let's start. Where should we start? Devin Booker, unbelievable rising talent, and I love his competitive spirit. He's had some difficult, difficult times down there. You know, they, they've had some <laughs> coaching changes, but he is really maturing to me as a leader. Unbelievable score. What else do you see, Andrew? Oh, you know, I just see a lot of like, high upside guys. Dragon Bender. I mean, talk about a modern big man, right? Unbelievable. I have, from that I have guy. some unironic praise for TJ Warren, starring yeah, for my fantasy squad for the second straight year. He's been you awesome. Lo you love TJ Warren. I mean, we could even pretend to like uh, Josh Jackson. It's not that hard to do generic praise, Corey. That's my point. So do not come to openfloormail at gmail.com and ask us for a generic praise <laughs> because that's insulting our intelligence as analysts, and that's actually insulting your own intelligence. You should want... First of all, you should send in incisive questions with specific guys or comparisons that we can really dig into, um, or you should you know, come at us if you disagree with one of our opinions, and we'll take it and we'll talk about it. This generic praise stuff of, oh, talk about my favorite team, it just kills me, Andrew. We got to be better. And Corey, just man up. Generic praise is bad radio. Uh, if you're not hearing what you like, wait for another episode. We'll probably get around to it. Okay. Uh, I really appreciate that. You said you were fired up for, for this podcast, and uh, you did not disappoint. And um, let me say this, because, well, for, actually, first of all, regarding 10-time Jason Tatum, 
it will be really funny. I, I doubt that our podcast archives will survive until the year 2030, but it would be very funny to look back like 10 or 12 years from now with Jason Tatum having made 10 All-Star games because we were relentlessly sarcastic about the Jason Tatum <laughs> praise over the summer, and we deserve to take some heat of, uh, because of that. Andrew, and, forget about looking back a decade. We can look back two <laughs> days. We say stuff that may not prove accurate. It happens. Don't worry about it. Yeah, look, I'm not. I'm not. But in fairness to Corey, most of our Celtics praise is pretty sarcastic, full of backhanded compliments. So I understand where you're coming from on this one. And Yeah, I, I feel do have really something... bad for him. He's so praise-deprived. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, there's that. And also, like... The Celtics are so successful at every level of the organization. Like, I would just be happy with how smart and good and fun your team is. Don't even worry about dumbass haters like me. Uh, the one thing that I do have that's like a, that is sincere praise for the Celtics. You mentioned the national media and the conversation surrounding that team. They are sort of like the Notre Dame of the NBA where they're just constantly overpraised and it's like slightly overrated year after year. And like on one hand, you can be cynical and make fun of them for that. But I do think it's it's the byproduct of a fan base that like really cares and really buys into the hype every like year after year. And it's pretty awesome. Like as a as a fan in DC Bradley Beal has been fucking awesome for the last like two months. And if he played anywhere else, he would be a bigger deal and people would be talking about him more. Like if he played in Boston, they would be talking about him as like the next li- the next in line to be like an all NBA perennial superstar. And in, in DC, nobody really even knows that Bradley Beal exists. And so I will say that, that, like the Celtics fans are special and it is really cool that you guys year after year are able to sort of hype these guys up and, you know, a cynic would say delude yourselves, but have fun with the team. And uh, so I, that would be the one thing that like, even, even the way they've bought into Kyrie over the last two and a half months has been really cool. Like I personally think Kyrie's pretty overrated, but uh I, I respect how hard the Celtics go at all times. Can, can you slow down? I'm a little worried here. I don't want to have to see every Celtics game on NBC, like those Notre Dame football games, every single week. <laughs> we, we can't have 82 nationally televised Celtics games. That would be It's cool, though. Disastrous. Like, look, even watching Celtics games, the, the, the fans are so into it that every, every big Celtics game kind of feels like a playoff game. Like, that is kind of fun. All right. I think you balanced it out. I was a little hard on Corey. You were way (laughs) over the top. Let's move on. All right. Fine. Uh, Speaking of people that you have pissed off, this is one of like, look, my mentions is on Twitter are now like 75% Raptors fans. I don't like being associated with the, the DeRozan hate. I really don't care about DeRozan. He's like the 19th or 20th best player in the league. He's fine, whatever. But this is one of several Raptors comments. Andrew says, another five made threes from DeMar DeRozan Wednesday night, and he is now 30 of 47 since December 15th, since you guys like to cherry-pick dates. Sincerely yours, a Toronto termite. 
Uh, so I told you the deplorables. They're taking that title, man. They're just owning they're it. Not, they're not. No. They're, they're wearing they would be it. Deplorable. They would be deplorable if they were coming at us angrily, but they're more coming at us like just playfully giving us shit. And I think we deserve it. So I'll let you, I'll let you respond, though. Okay. So <clears throat> in his career, DeMar DeRozan has had four games <laughs> ever where he's made five three-pointers okay all four uh-huh. of those have come I, I believe in this span that andrew's mentioning right so talk about cherry pick dead i mean eight or nine years you want to ta- talk about cherry picking we're gonna have four games here from a two-week three-week sample and say this guy's now a shooter okay he's got four for his career just for context steph curry has 120 games <laughs> right. in his career where he's made five threes james harden has 71 games where he's made at least five threes Okay. Durant but the point has here, hold on, no, hold on, p- hold on. <laughs> Durant has 31 games where he's made at least five threes. LeBron James, not even a shooter, has 34 games where he's made five threes. And Chris Middleton, everyone loves to bag on poor Chris Middleton. In his career, he's got 12 games where he's made at least five threes. Andrew, have I ever sent you a mailbag question or a Twitter DM to say, hey? How come you're not giving Chris Middleton love? He's a shooter. He made five three-pointers. Let's throw a party for him. Come on. I can't do this again. <laughs> I can't continue to argue about DeMar DeRozan okay. all season long. I will, look, I, will close, I will close with two analogies real quick. If it's okay. And this is a Canadian-specific one. If it snows for 10 years straight and then you have four sunny days in the span of three weeks— have you all of a sudden moved from Toronto to Malibu or is it just a nice stretch of warm weather, right? What do you think is going to happen when you look forward? What's more likely to happen, a return to your 10-year forecast or maintaining at this weird peak level uh, that's lasted for two or three weeks indefinitely? I mean, obviously the truth is going to probably be somewhere in the middle, but it's going is to be closer to Is DeMar DeRozan turning you into a climate suggests. change denier? Is that what's happening here? I would prefer, you know, like PhD meteorologist. But uh, <laughs> the other thing I would say is this, and I got this one from a lot of people, DeRozan's proving his critics wrong. That is just a complete misread of the situation. The simplest way to put it is this. If he wanted to prove his critics wrong, he would go out there and shoot his tough twos, which he swore by for years, saying he would not even practice three-pointers, that he wanted uh, nothing to do with efficiency stats and analytics and all that stuff. His way would have had to win the title. If he had won a title trying to play like Kobe Light, that would have proved the critics wrong. The critics said, pass the ball more, move the ball, play in a team context, take three-pointers, get to the foul line like he was able to do uh, You know, fairly early in his career. He added that to his game. Uh, and now he's proving the critics right. He's doing all the things that people said he should do, and he's finding great success with it. So uh, <laughs> they have to change that talking point. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. All right. I have a couple responses before we move on. First of all, this is the difference between you and I. I, I am like more than willing to admit when I'm wrong because I just don't really care that much about any of this. And so I will just be like, hey, whatever. Screw it. I was wrong. You are now twisting the conversation in all kinds of ways. And it's impressive to watch and I'm really enjoying it. But on behalf of the Open Floor podcast and on behalf of of my Twitter mentions, I will say that Open Floor has been wrong about DeMar DeRozan, and oh he is really God. solid. What a sellout. <laughs> it's, we could all move on. Uh, go Raptors. It's, uh, but I will give you credit for the uh, 
the termite nickname is really perfect because the second Demar started hitting threes the other night, they the the emails and the mentions started flooding in, and I was like, like what is happening? I didn't even know the Raptors were playing tonight. But credit again to the Raptors fans; they actually care, and uh, that's kind of cool as well. And but like, can as I be far serious as the for actual... a moment though? Can I be serious what? for a moment? This is real inside baseball. Everyone, brace yourselves. Okay. When Rob and I write critical reviews in the top 100, it's not that we think players are never going to be able to do anything. It's that they can't do it at that moment. If they improve, that is a good thing. We enjoy that just as much as everyone else. It's nice to see players address their flaws and weaknesses. We enjoy it as much as the fans do. All right. That's the only serious 30 <laughs> seconds you're going to get. All right, good. And he, he really has improved. So uh, it'll be interesting to see whether he can sustain it. A couple more questions here before we hit the podium. This is from Byron in Ghana. Shout out to Ghana. Uh, he says, Aaron Gordon seems to have lost his mind this year. I have no other way to put it. He's routinely putting up double doubles. And even though the three-point shooting has fallen off a bit, his overall scoring hasn't taken that much of a hit. Now, I know some of this is the product of being the first option on a bad team, but it all leads me to ask, what is Aaron Gordon? Is he worth the max this summer? So, Ben, what do you think? Well, you remember that lecture I just gave everyone about the generic praise? I'm now Uh going to undo all of that because I want to give a shout out to my guy, Kevin Diaz, the Orlando Magic fan. Now, I don't know why you picked Byron's question, but Kevin Diaz has bombarded us with Magic-related questions all season long, and I don't think you've picked a single one of his. Just a real quick sample. November 2nd, he says, can the Magic please get a little bit of respect? Ben basically Uh said everything they're doing is a fluke, and we're going to go back to being bad when the season progresses. A couple days before that, he had said, as an Orlando Magic fan, I was wondering what your thoughts were on our early success. Is it sustainable? Could we have an all-star like Aaron Gordon or Vucevic? November 14th. Why do every single time you speak about the Orlando Magic, it's just to say that we're not legitimate and we'll fall out of the standings as the season progresses? So obviously, we didn't hear from him over the next three or four weeks as the Magic fell out of the standings. And he, he doubled back on January 1 to say, I'm a fan of the Magic and Eric Gordon has had a breakout year for us. Can he make the all-star team? So, Kevin... I got to respect your hustle here. <laughs> you're you're asking for generic praise so often, even though it was clearly misguided like the first four or five times, but you're still coming back for more in 2018. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for all of those emails. We're sorry that we were right about them. You know, that, that, that doesn't make us feel good. Uh, your season did completely fall apart. I don't think Aaron Gordon's going to make the all-star team. Uh, but he's been awesome. And in terms of, you know, do you lock him down long term? You have to pay him whatever he wants, right? Yeah, I think if you're Orlando, just because the alternatives aren't really there. So you might as well. I mean, what are you going to do? Pay, give Aaron Gordon's money to the next B- Bismack Biombo? Like Aaron Gordon is a good player. So sign him. I do. I do wonder, though about what the market would be for him elsewhere you know like i i wonder whether another team is going to try to give him a hundred million dollars do you think there would be suitors out there it's tough i mean everyone says market's really tight market's really tight and you know guys in that situation restricted free agency you know you got to clear all the money you know from your cap space to even make an offer then you got to sit around and wait 
you got to yeah. feel like Orlando's going to match any offer. So my guess is that just gets taken care of down there. Uh, they had a you know a fairly long streak there of paying guys, Vucevic and some others along the way. So, um, but those uh, were all know, bad decisions. I, well, yeah, I mean it's tricky. Like I think he's probably more talented than any other prospect they've had, whether it's Tobias Harris or. Uh, you know, Oladipo definitely looks different this season compared to previously. But, you know, if you're saying, do you want Aaron Gordon at his age or, you know, Orlando paying Oladipo rather than trading him to Oklahoma City, I'd probably lean toward Aaron Gordon, you know, at the moment that they had to make that decision. So to me, it's going to get taken care of. You know, it's just tough because he's obviously not like a max level talent at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think he's one of those guys who's just going to wind up, you know, getting very close to that number or all of it. Uh, because they have no other choice. They're over a barrel. Yeah. Uh, Orlando, my one my one magic thought, uh, or a couple magic thoughts. First of all, I never know what to make of magic players because I don't watch many of their games. And they put, like, a guy like Alfred Payton's numbers have been pretty solid over the last few years, but then you watch him play and you're like, uh, I don't think this is working. And um, that's been the case again this year. And so it's just hard to know what to what to make of that because like Vucevic is another guy who statistically has been very, fairly solid, but I think Orlando will be in much better shape when they move on from uh, Vucevic and Alfred Payton. And Aaron Gordon, his evolution seems more sustainable, and I would bet on him. But my main thought for the Magic right now is like. I am over the last two or three weeks, I've really caught Trey Young fever. And as I look across the league, I really want Trey Young to end up in Orlando because they have some of the pieces that would be great complimentary guys. Like a future front line of Jonathan Isaac and Aaron Gordon sounds pretty awesome in theory. Uh, They just need a little bit more skill out there. And let's just get Trey Young down to Orlando and see what happens. That's my dream for the Magic. Okay, so he's been getting like the next Steph Curry label, which is obviously very, very unfair and tough for any player, right? Uh, uh-huh. I was I, not to name check the same book twice in one week, but I've been reading his Jack McCallum book, and he talks about Steph Curry and how they sort of tried to steer him to the Knicks and, and away from the Warriors, and just it didn't work because the Warriors just right. wanted him that badly. If you're Trey Young's representative, his family, his agent, whatever, and you're looking at these teams in the tank race, and there's a whole bunch of them, you know, I, to me, Orlando, just go ahead and shamelessly tank, whatever, you know. They you should. Tried. That's been their problem is they haven't been shameless about tanking for five years, and so every year they're like two or three spots outside of the elite talent. For sure. So let's just say they figure it out in terms of teams that could be in position to get that number one draft pick. Atlanta, Orlando, Chicago, maybe even Charlotte, uh, Lakers, Memphis, Sacramento, you know, Dallas, Phoenix, all those teams are really, this is going to be a crazy tankathon this year. There's no question. Which of those teams would you try to steer Trey Young towards? Would it be the Magic or is there some other team on that list you'd rather have them on? I, the, the, the more I think about it, I think Orlando is the choice. Um, I, and granted, like if you're 19 years old and you've got Chicago on the table or even Dallas, uh, although Dallas doesn't need him because they've got, they're like banking on Dennis Smith. I don't know. I, I think he would just be a great fit in, in Orlando and he, and they've needed someone to come in and sort of like inject life into that franchise for the last five or six years. And maybe Trey Young is that guy. Why do I feel like this ends with the Celtics getting Trey Young? 
<laughs> they might, man. I ne never bet against the luck of Danny Ainge. Uh, it's worked so far. But let's move on. Um, one follow-up from the last podcast. Robert says, I can't believe neither of you guys said Fred Hoiberg would be the coach you'd least want to play for. Look at all the crap that has gone down with him at the helm. Rondo was calling out his own teammates. Portis clocked Miritich in the face. I, I still, every time I remember that happening on the eve of the, of the season for the Bulls, uh, I just laugh my ass off. It's amazing. Um, and Hoiberg oversaw the end of the former Bulls team with the Butler-Rose-Noah era. He can't coach and he can't man manage a locker room. He is awful. Um, I think Robert's being a little too hard on Hoiberg here. Hoiberg has done a nice job with this year's Bulls team. I actually think the Bulls are legitimately decent. Um, I, and if they're trying to tank, like I would try to intervene at this point and, tr and trade some guys if I were Gar Foreman and, and uh, Paxson. But I'm, I mean, obviously Hoiberg's not like an elite coach for me though. I think Hoiberg would allow me to sort of do my own thing and do whatever I want. He's a, he's a player's coach, hands off, clearly not an authoritarian. And uh, I would enjoy that freedom. And I would also enjoy the chaos that clearly seems to come with it because you'd get some really great stories out of uh, four or five years with Fred Hoiberg. Yeah, you'd be one of those guys who leaks the punch background to the media. You know, you'd be like watching <laughs> it unfold. It was like Miritich was elbowing him during practice, and then I saw Bobby turn around. I mean, that'd be you for sure. Um, I think Robert was actually being too hard on us because I had two disclaimers before I said Mike D'Antoni. My uh -huh. two disclaimers were, one, I didn't want to bury bad coaches uh, of teams that are not successful because that felt uh, unsavory. Obviously, yeah. you know, Fred Hoiberg applies there. And then my second disclaimer was uh, the worst possible coach is an interim coach. And that's kind of how I feel about Fred. He just seems like he's a permanent <laughs> interim coach where he doesn't really know what he's doing. So I thought he might be able to, you know, Robert and the other listeners would be able to kind of read between the lines and see where I was going with that. Uh, but evidently not. Permanent interim coach is one of the <laughs> meaner good, right? and more accurate things you've said all season. Uh, yeah, that's true. I don't know. I'm, I've, I've been rooting for Fred Hoiberg for the last two or three years because he inherited such a mess in Chicago, and I just can't imagine what it would be like to have that be your first shot at a NBA head coaching job. But uh, And he also seems like a great guy off the court, so... Who knows? Um, I'm pulling for you, Fred, even if Golliver isn't. He's just another generic praise all-star, though, right? The mayor. You got to love the mayor. Great personality. <laughs> you know, it actually reminds me. Have you ever heard, have you ever heard of the, uh, the tag NGCP for a player? Have you ever heard of that? Uh-uh. No, what nice is that? Guy, nice guy can't play. Uh, that falls in the same category where like, you know, oh, yeah, he's a great locker room guy, but he's worthless on the court. Uh, <laughs> that's sort of how I view uh, Fred Hoiberg. Nothing but cold, hard truth from Ben today. Uh, I'm enjoying it. All right. Two more questions before the podium. Callum says, given that New Year's has passed and it's almost the end of the decade, I was wondering, who makes the best five of the 2010s? I found this much more difficult to decide in comparison to other decades, so I wanted to hear your guys' thoughts. My five for the 2010s would be as follows. Point guard, Steph Curry. Shooting guard, Dwayne Wade. Small forward, Kevin Durant. Power forward, LeBron James. Center, Dwight Howard. Um, 
first of all, that is a solid list from Callum. But uh, if you agree with Dwight Howard as the center of the 2010s, we're going to have issues, Ben. And I would also nominate potentially replacing Dwayne Wade with DeMar DeRozan. What do you think? Stop it. Stop it. Come on. <laughs> we're, now, we're now beating that the beating a dead horse at this point. Okay. First of all, you know I didn't choose Dwight Howard. You know who I chose as the best center of the 2010s. It's Tim oh. Duncan. He could have played oh, one God. game no. in the 2010s, and he would have been a better pick for this team than Dwight Howard. Somehow worse Rings, than Dwight. You're, you're unbelievable awful. defensive rating, overall team impact. There is no GM in the league anywhere who would take Dwight Howard's body of work in the 2010s over Tim Duncan's and the influence he has on his teammates in establishing a winning culture and doing it night in, night out, no complaints, no skittles, no weird off-court drama, none of the other nonsense that Dwight Howard brings to the table. The answer is Tim Duncan. It's not close. To me, when you're drafting this team, LeBron's first and Tim Duncan's right there with Durant and Curry for for the second pick. (laughs) And by the way- This is a 10-year span. Tim Duncan was like barely an NBA player though, over the final two or three years of his career. I mean, no offense, oh, yeah. Tim Duncan was great, but like oh, yeah. he, well, he barely you, lifted you... that. He barely lifted that championship trophy after guaranteeing and predicting a Finals victory over peak okay. LeBron James. I shouldn't yeah, say barely. barely an NBA player. He was barely a starter the last year or two of his career. So he had two or three Andrew, years at the beginning of the decade. Okay, you know, last last podcast I compared you to Hemingway. Come on now. Like Tim Duncan's <laughs> best year, his best two years, his best three years are better than Dwight we're Howard's. All in the last decade, years. they were all in the mid two thousands. He was still unbelievable in two thousand twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. He was, you know, he didn't show in the raw stats. And guys like you fixate on points per game and rebounds per yeah. game, and in Dwight Howard's case, probably blocks per game. There is no question when you look at the on-off stats, everything else, Tim Duncan should be on the all-decade team for this decade, and he should be on the all-decade team for last decade. And the other candidates here at center, you know, probably the next best candidate is a guy like Marcus Gasol or maybe Powell, if you want to throw him in the mix. No. Uh, So to me, it's Duncan. You can't tell me you're going to take Dwight over Duncan. Look, I love Kevin Garnett. You're not going to see me out here repping for Kevin Garnett on the 2010s all-decade team, okay? He he had a couple good years. That does not mean we have to pretend that he was one of the defining players of the decade, okay? That's all I'm saying. Do you want to know the Tim, correct list here, Ben? Uh, Tim Duncan was an all-NBA caliber player for half of the decade. He was significantly better than Dwight Howard uh, in terms of overall impact, like I keep mentioning, for that entire time period. Everything that Dwight's doing now in Charlotte, you know, it's going to— it's going to goose his total decade stats, but it's certainly not going to move him past Tim Duncan. Okay, fine. You you are so far like divorced from reality with that take. I'm just going to let it happen, and you can believe whatever you want to believe. The actual starting five of the 2010s should be point guard Steph Curry, shooting guard Dwayne Wade, small forward Kevin Durant, power forward LeBron James and the center should be Giannis because Giannis oh, is not God, quite there a... yet but over the final <laughs> two years he will establish himself as one of the defining players of this decade and I also think that the starting five for the 2010s should reflect how fluid positions have become in the modern era and should reflect interchangeable 
And uh, yeah, I just think Giannis has got to be on there. And you, and you look at those five guys, like they are the they are the players who have come to sort of shape what basketball is. And uh, I I think that that's it, it's pretty clear cut. Like and Wade Wade has been phenomenal, and I do think that he's like a top thirty guy all time. But I think Harden, when you look at these ten years, James Harden belongs on the on the squad above Wade. I would take Duncan's uh, track record since 2010 over Wade's track record since 2010. I would definitely put Dwayne in the mix for the previous decade. You know, yeah. you're talking about this forward-looking thing. Harden's making a real push for the overall total body of work in this specific decade just because his good years like line up perfectly with this decade, and he's going to have multiple really high MVP finishes. Uh, he doesn't have the title that Wade has. Uh, but you know he's got an awful lot of overall accomplishments. He's already passed him in win shares for this decade. So, you know, from that standpoint, my team would probably be something along the lines of Curry, Harden, Durant, LeBron, Duncan. The tricky one, though, also is Chris Paul because you know you could make a case just like have two guards, and if you're looking at just like overall statistical accumulation and like all NBA picks and everything else over the course of this whole decade, you know, Chris stacks up with everybody. Um, Mm -hmm. it would be hard to leave him off this group. I like what you tried to do pandering to me with the interchangeable (laughs) to try to get Giannis on there. Um, but you got to remember as much as I like Giannis, as much as I think he's the future of the sport, he's not Tim Duncan. Yeah, no, it's an interesting test of your loyalties there. Um, and I'm proud of you for sticking with what you believe, even if you're wrong. Uh, that's one thing we've seen. It's a theme of this podcast. Actually, it's good. Um, let's move to the podium though. So first we have, uh, from Senator Batman. He says, I work 12 hour shifts and spend most of them in a vehicle. As a result, sometimes the only way I can catch a game is the play by play on the radio. I'll usually watch the highlights afterward. Portland has a great radio guy in Brian Wheeler. And while it's obviously not the same as watching, it's a nice stand in for games where I care about the outcome. My question, do either of you ever listen to games on the radio? Do you do that, Ben? I was a big sports radio guy grew, growing up. I mean, Jim Rome, the fabulous sports babe, Pharrell on the bench, like just listened to it on this like giant yellow like block radio uh, for years and years. I listened to a lot of Blazers games on the radio growing up. Um, Bill Shonley was the sort of one of the broadcasters at one point. Uh, Brian Wheeler kind of stood in for him uh as the guy he mentioned you know wheels is very excitable you know he's at the games and he'll pound the desk so if you're at a game on media (laughs) row you are listening to the radio broadcast because he's right behind you screaming uh he loves the alliteration uh and so he brings a lot to the table shanley though was a legend he had so many different uh phrases you know he coined rip city for the blazers uh, as the name uh he always would say lickety brindle up the middle when Clyde Drexler or uh, you know Terry Porter would you know drive through the paint, but his most famous one is he'd always go, "You've got to make your free throws." And I've seen people with that <laughs> as their screen name. That was like a T-shirt slogan. They made a poster out of it. So Portland does have a, an interesting kind of a, a radio history. But in terms of like now, uh, no. A lot of times when I'm watching games these days, I'm listening to podcasts. Uh, or, you know, occasionally if it's like a national TV game, I'll just tune in to see what they're talking about. Like, you know, Jeff Van Gundy, what, what's his big talking point for the night? I'll, I'll want to see what he's uh, you know bringing to the table. Uh, but I don't listen to radio broadcasts very often. 
Yeah, I don't really either, in part because I don't listen to the radio very often. Like when I'm in the car, I'm usually listening to an iPod and uh, sometimes listening to a podcast. And so it's just sort of like the, the way we consume media has changed. I will say I have a couple good memories of listening to games on the radio. My One of my favorite sporting event experiences ever was uh, the 2001 national title game between it was either 2001 or maybe it was 2002 but it was university of miami versus ohio state and i was i was with my family driving around on like a, a family vacation and uh we had like a two or three hour drive and all i wanted to do was watch that game and my family insisted on traveling at night and so i had to listen to that game on the radio and and for people who remember college football fans like that game was insane, and so hearing it all transpire on the radio was actually cooler than watching it would have been. And uh, so I, I look back fondly, losing my mind in the car with my family, and my other four family members were just like, we don't give a shit, why are you making us listen to this game? But uh, that was great. And then basketball-wise, I really don't ever listen to games on the radio, although there was one time when I was on a road trip uh, a couple years ago with my then girlfriend, now wife, and um, we were stuck in the car during a heat playoff game. And it was like, it was, I think the, it was that not the year that they lost to the Mavericks, but the year after. And they were down two, one to the Pacers. And it really looked like the, the whole heat era was sort of teetering on the brink. Uh, and then, Wade and LeBron came back, and I think they both had 40 in game four uh, to beat the Pacers. And man, I, I listened to that entire game on the radio, and it was wild um, just hearing them go back and forth, just sort of like slowly killing the Pacers. And because uh, I think Bosch was hurt that game too, and both of them were just out of that world. So it, it is fun to sort of experience games and have to imagine what's happening. Um, and I should probably listen to more games on the radio. I guess what I'm saying here. I mean, it's a super tough job because the audience is like fully in your hands. They have to trust you completely. And I'm kind of a control freak, as you could probably guess. So when I'm watching games or like I'm taking part in the game, I want to see it for myself. I want to look at what I want to look at. And you have to sacrifice all of that. A good radio broadcaster can turn that into a strength and, and paint the whole picture a bad radio broadcaster can just leave you so confused and it's it's really like a hit or miss phenomenon. Hey, I wanted to uh read a podium question here real quick from Warren. Okay. Uh, he, he says, "We've survived the era of the Chicago Packers, the Rochester Royals and the Kansas City Kings. So I'd like to know what your favorite team name is from a now defunct franchise. My personal favorite is the Seattle SuperSonics. I don't know what a SuperSonic is or how it relates to the city of Seattle, but the alliteration is too delicious to ignore." I mean, first of all, this made me feel a little bit old because like, I still think of the Supersonics almost as like a real thing, but you know, now we're yeah. putting them in the same conversation <laughs> with the Chicago Packers. It's like, that got really depressing, right? Yeah. Let's uh, be very clear. The, the Supersonics are coming back. Give it five years and the Supersonics will be a modern day team name. So it, we're, we're not in Kansas City Kings, Rochester Royal territory just yet. So for Warren, you know, not only is the alliteration great, they had a really wacky color scheme and some really outside the box jerseys that aged very well. I mean, they were probably ugly at the time, but like 20 years later, they've got some great, super ugly retro, like kind of intentionally ugly retro jerseys. Uh, yeah. You know, a perfect pick for the hipsters, a hipster set. 
Uh, in terms of the name supersonic, it's an allusion basically to uh, Boeing. You know, the, the aircraft company is near Seattle. They had some sort of a model plane or whatever that was going to call the supersonic, referring to, you know, being faster than the speed of sound. So that clears that up. But I have the ultimate answer to this question for you, Andrew. What? It is the Providence Steamrollers. Now, these were one of the original <laughs> teams. We're going back to the, uh, the 1940s, okay? They only lasted three years. One of their seasons, uh, they set the NBA record for fewest victories. They only won six games. So you can imagine all the newspaper writers were just like, the Providence Steamrollers got steamrolled again. Like, how many times do you think they had that headline? Probably like 40 or 50 times over the course of that season. Sure. <laughs> but my favorite thing about this team, besides the fact that their name is completely random and they're in a city that doesn't really have any other professional sports, and it just perfectly fits like the bygone eras, uh -huh. their coach... Nat Hickey, two days before his 46th birthday, decided to check himself into a game. So he actually played in a, in a regulation <laughs> game. So he has the NBA record for being the oldest player to suit up at 45 years, 363 days. All these amazing facts, by the way, are courtesy of Wikipedia, of course. Great. So my challenge here is LeBron needs to beat Nat Hickey. We need to find a way where he's like the coach, signs himself to a 10-day contract. Maybe his son, maybe both of his sons are in the NBA at that, this point. He pulls a Nat Hickey, he gets himself out there, and he sets a new record for the oldest NBA player of all time, eclipsing the great Providence steamroller coach. I mean, look, I'm not betting against LeBron to do whatever at this point. Like We're 15 years in, and he's like headed shoulders above anyone else in the league. He could absolutely play till he's 50 years old. Um, I, I was going to say Virginia Squires for this answer, yeah. but because um, I've always liked the Virginia Squires uh, and, uh, but I can't beat, I can't, that doesn't top the Providence steamrollers. So you win this round. Um, I will say as a card carrying basketball hipster, I have a, an authentic, rookie Kevin Durant jersey from the Sonics and uh it's definitely one of like my prized sports fan possessions um so uh that's yeah. awesome and completely unsurprising also Baltimore Bullets was pretty good too right yeah yeah Baltimore Bullets is pretty good I I mostly when I whenever I hear about the Baltimore Bullets I get pissed off about Washington changing the name so I have some conflicted feelings on that one but um Let's move on to the the final question. We've gotten so many different Lego questions that <laughs> I, I'm just I don't know. I gotta I gotta shout out to Lorenzo who wrote in about uh, the plural of Legos, which is also the name of a pasta sauce in Australia. So he's been pretty confused listening to the pod. Um, and I I guess the the plural of Lego is technically Lego, and I'm surprised you haven't corrected me on that front and then julian well, i call them legos <laughs> look we've had australians try to correct us on pronunciation before not to you know discount their entire country but they're not totally trustworthy on this issue they spell <laughs> things a little different they definitely pronounce things a little different they call you sharpie uh you know it's it's tough yeah well uh, so anyways uh, t we also got a, a question from julian who sent in his uh a picture of his lego collection of of cars that he's made and it was fairly impressive and it was he very said impressive that, yeah he, he he chose those because those are easier to display and i've been faced with the same decision uh because like i wanted to buy the taj mahal but then i realized that like 
that's a pretty uh, i on the past episodes i've said that like these lego things are good conversation pieces in your living room <laughs> but a taj mahal is pretty aggressive to just like have on your kitchen table uh permanently so i'm going i too choose the smaller ones and then um Louis sent in a picture of himself at the Lego store in Chicago saying open floor globe, sending some brickhead love from Chicago. I will say this. Okay. A lot of other podcasts do live pods around the country. And, uh, I, I don't know if that's a route that we'll ever go because logistically it's difficult with us on opposite coasts. But if we do ever try a live podcast, I promise you we will be hosting from some, Legoland around the country. Maybe it'll yes. be Legoland in Chicago, maybe New York, maybe something on the West Coast, but we will figure it out and make it happen. Well, just remember outside San Diego, there's an entire amusement park devoted to Lego. So it's not just a big store. It's not just like a flagship operation. It's an entire amusement <laughs> park. Now, the only question there is, you know, our demo, it's like 18 to 30 mil, you know, probably some drinking and, and maybe some other things involved. Or do we want to crash that set for our show? Probably not. <laughs> it might not. be a tough sell for the people at the Lego store. You're right. Maybe we just do it at midnight once the whole thing is uh, closed down. Uh, I would say, though, Andrew, my pride and joy is complete. You know, a, a few episodes ago, I said I was hoping to kind of compare Big Ben's with people. And, you know, the, the readers responded with great pictures. Uh, what I would say... I've added a light kit to it. And I think I sent you a few of the pictures. What, I mean, it took your breath away, didn't it? I mean, the whole it thing did. is lit up with basically LED lights on the inside. The clock tower lights up. So this is going to be a tease. Sometime here in the next couple of days, I'm going to go ahead and grace Instagram with the lit up <laughs> Big Ben <laughs> So be on and, alert. <laughs> absolutely. And the, funny, followers. <laughs> and the funny thing was what you just said about the Taj Mahal on your kitchen table, that is the exact dilemma I have because I've got the Big Ben and I've got the Tower Bridge, both gigantic sets. And you saw my place. It's not very big. I don't really have anywhere to put them. So right now <laughs> I'm like eating my like bean burritos and my, you know, uh, Southwest salads. Uh, while trying to navigate around the streets of London on my kitchen table. It's, uh, it, it might be considered a pathetic existence. You're the best. Uh, just keep living the dream. I do have one Lego story to share, and this is, the, probably, this is probably our final Lego segment for a while, but we do really appreciate every single email, particularly Ben. Uh, it's been awesome. The, uh, so I t- on the, like a week ago, I talked to you about potentially visiting the Lego store in New York City. And, and you did I, it, right? I did that. I did it. And it yes. was really a bad decision uh, because, what? first of all, it was 10 degrees in New York City when I was when I was traveling to Midtown Manhattan. And Midtown Manhattan is probably my least favorite place on Earth. And I had like but it had been probably five or six years since I had ever seen Rockefeller Center. So I was like, hey, it'll be cool to check back in with 30 Rock, you know, see what it's like. Uh, word of advice, don't go to Rockefeller Center around the holidays because there are 10,000 people there at all times. And so I was Never would there. have guessed. <laughs> it, was, it was freezing cold. Did, did the 600-foot Christmas tree give it away? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, was, I was left to wait in line uh, because apparently there's a line to get into the Lego store at, at peak hours. <laughs> and so it was uh, sub-zero temperatures. I'm waiting in line. And I'm just, it was like, kind of like when keeping it real goes wrong. Like it was a fun 
sort of joke. This happened to me once when I went to a Taylor Swift concert, actually. Like, I kind of liked Taylor Swift ironically and then went to a, one of her concerts and it was me and like 20,000 12-year-old girls and was like, all right, this has gone a little bit too far. That's how I felt uh, waiting in line with the Lego store. So I still rep for the Brickheads out there, but I'm going to take a step back and I think I'll pro- my my Lego building will probably be a an annual tradition on Christmas. I will build my next Lego on Christmas, but I'm not going to go any harder than that. I love that. That was a beautiful story. A great <laughs> comparison to Taylor Swift. I'm just picturing it's like the hottest club in Manhattan. Everyone's just lined up out the door in 10 degree weather to get themselves, get their hands on some great builds. It's so beautiful. People are on cocktail dresses and shivering and people are like, guys are giving their dates, their (laughs) coat, you know, it's just fantastic. A beautiful picture you painted there. Um, Look, we have one final piece of business very quickly. New year's resolutions. Mine is boring. Hopefully you're going to save us with a good one, but I'll get it out of the way. Two to three servings of fruit per day. That's my goal this year. So far, I've done it every single day. I've been real heavy on the plant-based side, uh, You know, a little too much veggies. I think I've been slacking on the fruit side. So it's all about a balanced diet in 2018. I'm hoping it will make me feel better and you know, just stocking up on my potassium. You know, what else can you do? <laughs> Good luck. All right. So I, I, I don't know why we felt the need to include New Year's resolutions, but we did uh, promise to do it a couple pods ago. So first of all, that's hilarious because my resolution was going to be to go plant-based uh, for you for the first 30 days of the month. And I tried to do it and then quickly realized that it was going to take a lot of effort to find plant-based meals to eat for 30 straight days and decided against it. So I apologize to you. My resolution is actually more NBA related. Um, I sincerely believe that Bradley Beal is better than Kyrie Irving, and I've kept it close to the vest for the last month or two, um, although maybe listeners of the podcast would say otherwise. Sort of. (laughs) Sort of close to the vest. Yeah. So look, uh, here's my promise is I am going to take that public more often in uh, 2018 because I think it's true and I'm just trying to sort of not be the shameless homer in public but I look I have to live my truth Kyrie is fine but uh, Bradley Beal is just as good at everything he does well and he does more so that's my promise I will own that take in 2018. Wave your flag, Andrew. I love it. Listeners, <laughs> openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Give us your best reactions to what was a very zany mailbag podcast. Andrew, until next week, I'll talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts locked on your favorite team. 
It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.